Last week, we introduced the subject of the miracles of Jesus by looking at miracles in general, what the Bible says about miracles. Tonight, we're going to be a little more specific, but not real specific. We're not looking at one particular miracle that Jesus did, but I do plan uh, next time I'm with you on this subject to get into one of the miracles specifically. But we're going to look at the miracles of Jesus in general tonight. The largest number of miracles recorded in the Bible are those associated with Jesus. There are other great miracles, the times of Moses, we saw that in the Exodus, the time of Elijah and Elisha, another great period, the time of Daniel, and then, of course, the time of Jesus' ministry and the apostles here. So we're going to look at five general things we can say about the miracles of Jesus. And the first one is that miracles were at the center of his public ministry. You cannot look at, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read what Jesus is doing without seeing that miracles are very much the center of what he does. In Acts 10.38, while Peter was in the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, he said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. A very brief but, but beautiful and impressive statement. Christ recognized very clearly the presence of evil in the world. He who was without sin was surrounded by sin. He could, who could do nothing evil or wicked was surrounded by people who did that all the time. And so he recognized that, but he didn't ignore the results of that. The tragedies of life, sickness and death and suffering and bewilderment, and frustrations, and desperations. Maybe we could add on to it, while I'm thinking of it, the request, anxieties, and depression. All these results of the sinful state of man. But he didn't ignore that, but especially he recognized their alienation from God. And he sought to correct that in his ministry. So he faced the grim uh, reality of sin, and met it head-on and all the wretched results of it. And to help him with his ministry or to assist him were the miracles that he performed. The miracles recorded, however, are only specimens of the whole number of miracles that he must have done. In John 21:25, John writes, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have picked out certain miracles, but there were probably many other miracles that Jesus did that simply aren't recorded in the gospel accounts. It's difficult to ignore the uh, strong belief by the early church that Jesus did perform these miracles. If he hadn't, how in such a comparatively short time uh, period were so many remarkable miracles attributed to him? So anybody studying the life of Jesus, right, reading about the accounts that were written about him in the first century, they had to be impressed with the amount of miracles that were associated with Jesus. So you can't separate the miracles from his teaching. You can't say, well, Jesus was this great teacher. He taught us the golden rule. He taught us how to love one another and be kind and eat all these nice things without relating them to miracles somewhere along the line, the center of his ministry. So they're not just, somebody has called it 
supernatural varnish. You don't treat them like supernatural varnish, kind of put over what Christ taught. They are deeply embedded in his preaching and teaching. Much of his ministry presupposes miracles. Otherwise, what he said would not make sense in many respects. He would be either a a mythical personage like Hercules, for example, or a mere human who performs some believe-it-or-not things. Yeah, I heard about what Jesus of Nazareth did up there in Galilee. I don't know about that. Believe it or not, you can believe it or not, but uh, he, he did it. Oh, maybe there's some explanation to it. Jesus' miracles, are, as we'll, we'll see, are much more, uh, much stronger than that. And thankfully, the Bible presents him as more than simply a miracle worker. He comes across as the eternal Son of God, who came that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And his miracles confirm his ministry. So that's one thing we can say in general about the miracles of Jesus that they were at the center of his public ministry. A second thing we can say about that is that his miracles are to be expected. Was Jesus the kind of person who might reasonably be expected to do the unexpected? From what we know about Jesus, would you expect him to do miracles? Someone has said that Christ's miracles are like jewels on the state robe of a king. Their absence will be unaccountable. To, to tear them off, rip them off, and say, well, Jesus didn't do his miracle. Let's remove all the miracles like Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson tried to do with his New Testament. Uh, let's just get rid of this, is to really destroy the whole person of Christ and what he came to do. His miracles were so integrated with his words that to a remarkable degree there were impressive signs of the coming of his kingdom. Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If you see me casting out demons, this is evidence, this is a sign that the kingdom of God has come. Also in uh, Matthew 11, verses 4 and 5. Go and tell John, John the Baptist was having some questions about, is Jesus really the Messiah? He was beginning to have some doubts. Jesus gave these instructions. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. See if that doesn't impress John a little bit. (laughs) He's denying who I am and what I came to do. Therefore, the miracles cannot be abstracted from the fundamental question of who Jesus is and what he purposed to do. Wouldn't it be strange that the one who came to deliver men from bondage to natural laws should himself be subject to them completely so that he could not overcome those natural laws? There would make no connection between the visible and invisible worlds. If he's the Son of God, wouldn't you expect him to have some relationship to the invisible world and his visible ministry? And miracles gave credence to that. Since the Bible presents him as a divine person, the miracles recorded of him are what we'd expect of such a person. Wouldn't it be strange if you read the gospel accounts and there were no miracles performed by Jesus? He was just an interesting man, interesting person, 
and he went about doing good, as Acts 10 tells us. And uh, he had some very interesting things to say. He certainly had interesting things about life. He talked about nature. He talked about the birds and so on and so forth. But he never performed any miracles at all. His, his, subject, his person might be a little subject. We might question. He says he's the son of God, but uh, he seems to be very intelligent. He speaks words of wisdom, but uh, it seems like we're missing something. Well, the missing something would be the miracles. And the miracles really were to be expected by him. Dr. B.B. Warfield said, When our Lord came down to earth, he drew heaven with him. The signs which accompanied his ministry were but the trailing clouds of glory which he brought from heaven, which is his home. So miracles were at the center of his public ministry. Miracles are to be expected in that ministry. Thirdly, the miracles of Christ were not exhibitionism. He wasn't showing off. Now, there are certain writings in the first century called the apocryphal writings. We don't think they were inspired scripture, but they have a lot of things that sound like the Bible, and they refer to certain historical events that occurred that sort of thing. But the early church soon dismissed the apocryphal writings as not inspired scripture. In some of those writings, the miracles do take center stage, but they're completely, completely disconnected from the purpose of his ministry. They aren't signs as we think of them, but only at best wonders and powers without the element of any divine grace related to it. For example, it's said that while he was yet an infant, he commanded a palm tree to stoop so that Mary could pluck its dates. Okay, <laughs> you think about that, and that would be rather impressive if that happened. Is that the kind of thing we expected Jesus to do as an infant? As a, a child accidentally ran into him, and he makes that child fall down and die. Some of you young people, you ever felt like that <laughs> some friend treated you badly or something, and you felt like, yeah, man, I like to knock this guy, knock this guy's block off. Supposedly Jesus did that sometime. He not only made the child fall down, but he made him die. Well, that's rather extreme, I would say. He and some friends made some birds and animals of clay. And then he makes them come to life. Rather impressive. But the early church who took the Bible seriously, they said, uh, that doesn't sound like the kind of miracles that Jesus would have performed. In the gospel, he was far more than a miracle worker, although I think he was known as that. The word got around that he was this wonderful rabbi who was doing these amazing things. But he didn't call attention to himself by doing that. And that was very common in his day. Certain spiritual healers and magicians and those kind of guys were doing all kinds of little things. Jesus' miracles were performed with a certain simplicity, and ease. He didn't set out on healing campaigns. I'll pass the word around. I'm coming down the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. I'm going to have a series of meetings and some healing meetings going on. There weren't signs or leaflets distributed, such as the leaflets of the day, 
we're getting around saying, Jesus of Nazareth coming next week and his amazing demonstrations. 7.30 p.m. every night, Tuesday through Saturday. Well, it couldn't be Saturday. The Jews wouldn't like that. Tuesday through Friday. Jesus didn't do that kind of thing. Nor did he seek out potential subjects. You know, could you uh, come over here? I'd like to uh, work something with you, work a miracle with you, if you don't mind. He didn't seek them out. They were mostly coming to him or brought to him. They came to his attention. They rose out of real-life situations. Often he deliberately avoided crowds and spectators. And he would perform a miracle and he'd say, don't tell anyone. Go your way. Go back to your home, but don't tell anyone. So far from being an exhibitionist, you know, going around, I think I illustrated this last time, and saying, uh, you need healing? You're healed. What do you need? You got it. What do you want? Okay, you got it. He didn't do that at all. Very, very reserved. Faith based on miracles alone would be too shallow. To the Capernaum, Capernaum official in John chapter 4, Jesus said to him, and he's really speaking not so much to him only, but to the crowd of people around him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, we think of Thomas, you know, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I need to see to believe. Jesus says, no, you need to believe so you can see. That's why his miracles played a less prominent role than what many have imagined. They were at the center of his ministry. They were very important, but they weren't everything. And Jesus didn't build his whole ministry around his miracles. They assisted him in his message. He was the Son of God who came to give his life a ransom for many. That whoever believed in him should not perish, but receive eternal life. Number four, Christ performed miracles with his Father's authority. He said in John 10, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Notice that he didn't regard the works as his, but the works of his Father. Evidence, however, of the Father's pleasure in his Son for obeying his directions and his will. The key to Christ's miracles was not a magical ritual, but a relationship of trust in his Father. That was the key. Christ was so dependent upon his heavenly Father that he did what his father wanted, and the father gave him authority to perform miracles. Details of any method are scarcely relevant. The overall impression of Christ's magnificent authority was that he spoke for his father. And this was a little different than the miracles in the Old Testament as far as the authority matter is concerned. Moses, for example, had to plead and struggle with God. Elijah had to cry out to him. On the other hand, Jesus usually spoke and it was done. Spoke with authority, it was done. He didn't have to plead 
with his father. The only time we find Jesus pleading, and I put the word pleading in quotation marks, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, oh, Father, if I, if I don't have to go through this, is there any way I don't have to go through this? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Even there, he was subservient to his father. So when Jesus spoke and it was done, the reaction was what? What manner of man is this? Wow. Did you see what Jesus did? How can any man do this? They were astonished. They were impressed. But he did it out of reference to his father. John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The will of him who sent me. Over in Mark chapter 1, verses 25 through 27, Jesus was dealing with a, an exorcism. And many of his miracles of healing were exorcism, or getting rid of devil, demons. And in Mark 1, verses 25 through 27, Jesus rebuked him, rebuked the demon, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean, unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned him on themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. The Jewish people admired their rabbi teachers, but the rabbi teachers were always quoting somebody else. Well, Rabbi so-and-so says this. I learned this when rabbi said this. So they really depended upon what other men were saying. But here comes Jesus along and saying, but I say unto you, and then often he performed a miracle in the name of his father. Quite a different approach than many of the so-called charlatans of his day. It's Christ's authority that rang out loud and clear. It was not just that Jesus performed miracles that impressed them, but how he did it with amazing deeds, but with powerful authority. That's what we have to notice in the miracles of Jesus. Not only what he did, but he did it with such, such authority. He spoke to the eternal Son of God, doing the will of his Father. His actions were not due just to some unusual spiritual force residing in him, and that he had a little better understanding of the natural world around him, and he's just a little more in touch with nature, more in touch with physical laws, and he could do these things far from it. An honest examination of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John reveals he was much more than that. So today, the proper response to Jesus is to accept the authority of his words as recorded in his word. Jesus says this, the whole Bible speaks on behalf of Christ, the Son of God, and our response is to hear what he says, the authority of his Father. Number five, as you've already noticed, the emphasis of Christ's miracles was healing. Back to that first verse I read in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 from, from Peter. It said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That healing ministry of Jesus is what stayed with Peter in particular. Of all the miracles that he did, it was the healing aspect of it that made the most impression uh, upon Peter. Um, 
The Gospels record only eight other miracles beside healing. Five of them involved food and drink. Two demonstrated his control over the elements, and one a curse on a fig tree. There are about 20 healing miracles and six exorcisms recorded in in the gospel accounts, not to mention several general statements about the large numbers healed by him. For example, Mark 1, uh, 34, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. That'd be one example. He gave his apostles the ability to do this. Luke 9, 1 and 2. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, I didn't figure this out. Somebody else did. But making due allowance for the imprecise medical terminology of the Gospels, we can identify various forms of paralysis and congenital defects like blindness, deafness, dumbness, diseases like leprosy, fever, hemorrhages, hemorrhages, curvature of spine, even a severed ear. So when Mark speaks about various diseases, that's true. It wasn't Jesus just healed a certain kind of problem. It was a wide variety of diseases that he healed. No wonder he was so popular in the early part of his ministry. The first uh, year and a half or so, maybe even two years, of Christ's public ministry, things were going well. Crowds of people were around him and he was being healed you know, they, many of them thought he was going to throw the Romans out. That was the main thing they were, a lot of them were interested in. So things were going really great there. And it's understandable because of all these miracles that he was doing, especially his, his healing ones. And it's interesting that Jesus often healed by a word. Healed. Or be healed. Example of this is in Matthew uh, chapter 8. Verses 8 and 9, the faith of the centurion who came. This is the one where Jesus doesn't see the centurion. The centurion doesn't see Jesus. And here's the reason for it. The centurion, he sent it by way of his servants. When the other Capernaum came forward to him. Well, I'm getting mixed up with another one. <laughs> this one did come to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He said to him, I will come and heal him. So Jesus said, all right, you've made this request. I will be glad to do this. I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Just just say it and it will happen, I'm sure. Now, why did he put it that way? Because he's a centurion, a Roman soldier. As he goes on to say, I too am a man under authority. We just talked about Jesus' authority. With soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes. To another, come. And he comes. To my servant, do this. And he does it. So I have to just say the word. 
just like I say words to my fellow soldiers under me. They obey me. I believe that your father will cure you and my servant will be healed. Later on, a few verses down, to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Interesting account there. One of the miracles that Jesus performed. However, often he stood by a person and touched them. Put his hand on them. One time he used even some of his spittle. Remember, he spit in the ground, mixed it with some dirt, put it on the eyes. Very unusual miracles that he did that kind of thing. But he at least did it at one time. But his underlying, but underlying his healings was his compassion for souls. Jesus really loved these people who came, and he, he was aware of their physical needs as well as their great spiritual needs as well. There's an intensely human aspect to many of Christ's miracles. The blind man sitting by the road in Jericho, crying out, Son of David, help me! And Jesus stops and said, Tell him to come here. He had the man come to him. The woman who touched the hem of his garment, probably like a little tassel or something, touched it, and right away he stops and said, Who touched me? Turns around and eventually ministered to that one, that one lady. Or Zacchaeus. He didn't perform a miracle, but he certainly interested in Zacchaeus' pers- uh, salvation. He said, Zacchaeus, I've got to go to your house today. You're the one I'm zeroing in on. So his miracles were very, uh, he, he was very uh, involved in the, the touching, the contact, the uh, personal um, relationship with the individual. It was miracles. Some of you know that the Greek words translated sozo, or the Greek word sozo, can be translated two ways. <clears throat> it means to heal. It could also mean to save. Healing, saving. Saving, healing. So there's a relationship between the miracles of Christ's miracles of healing and their saving of their souls. Jesus came to save the whole person. W-H-O-L-E, the entire person, body and soul. And he did that with this healing ministry as well. So his miracles are pictures of what man shall be in the new heavens and the new earth when released from the bondage of sin, when all of its powers have been restored and when mortality is put on immortality. So we see, we see these miracles. We'll explore some of them. What Jesus is teaching us is This is just a sign of what's to come, the great things to come, the the complete spiritual healing of the soul. You'll be freed from all the physical infirmities of your your bodies. That's the long-range plan that the Lord has. But what this subject of the miracles of Jesus comes down to is this. The greatest miracle of all is Jesus himself. We talked about his birth this morning, the miraculous conception of the seed planted in Mary's womb. He was evidence of the great power of his, of his father, the authority of his father given to him. His power as the eternal son of God, although he was truly human, he was also still truly God. 
So in coming weeks, we're going to be exploring the details of some of his miracles. We're going to start out with the first one, and then I'm not going to deal with all the miracles. I'm not sure how many I'm going to do, but eventually we'll deal also with this last one. So we'll go from the first to the last, and in between we'll have a sprinkling of of some others. As we do this, primarily we should not be seeking for proof that this shows that he was the Son of God, although it does that, but rather acknowledge that he is the eternal Son of God, and because he is, because we would say he was in his ministry, that's why we can recognize the miracles and accept them as they really happened. He extended his grace and mercy to people in that first century who had great physical needs and certainly great spiritual needs. We look around us in the 21st century, we see people with great physical needs as well as great spiritual needs. So the work of the Lord is still needed, the work of the Holy Spirit of Christ to minister to people. And so as we go into this subject and continue it, we should be amazed at what happened. And remember, it's a miracle. It's out of the ordinary. But who's doing it? Jesus is the Son of God with the authority of His Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that the Holy Spirit has opened our hearts and minds to the truth in the Bible. There are some things in it that are very hard to grasp and understand and accept. And all around us are critics of the Bible who say, well, that couldn't happen. How can you explain this and that? So, Lord, we thank you that you have not left us alone. You have given us your word, and you've given us many great uh, men of the past who have explored that word and uh, developed theology and doctrines and put it together so that we have a better handle on how to approach the Word of God. And so we pray that any doubts in our mind about the miracles might be removed, and we especially remember that it's the Son of God who performed them. How great is our God? He's the creator of all things. Miracles are such an easy thing for Him to do. We pray, Lord, that You would guide and direct us in the week that is ahead, Help us to live for you to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.